we're recording. Okay. Uh, so here we are again. Hello. <laughs> it has been forever, though. It's been honestly. a really long time. I feel a little rusty. I think. Um, I think we probably are. I can't hear. I don't want my ears, so it's fine. Okay, so we'll, fine. we'll have to deal with that as it goes. <laughs> um, so we are the Art Broadcast. Welcome. You're listening to. The art broadcast. Yep, that's us. That's who we are. <laughs> did we already say that? Yeah, we did. Um, um, it is summertime, so we're doing things. So it's hot outside. Summer things. Right, yeah. I mean, I think we took a longer break than we yeah. wanted to. We yeah. came back for a little bit with Shoen and then immediately. And then some heat waves hit. Right. And you know how it is. So we're back from summer vacation, I guess. And we're doing a pretty good one. Yeah. So, um... In case you're not familiar, uh, this is a podcast where we talk about female artists and their lives and their work and uh, because they're important and uh, men suck. So who cares about them? Yeah. Um, And today we're doing. Today we're doing Faith Ringgold. Who is. Wow. Who's like, if you don't know who Faith, if you're, if you have any interest in art and you don't know Faith Ringgold even a little bit you better google google her right now google the fuck out of her yeah because like she's the shit and she's still alive she's kicking so she continues to be the shit i just like she can't she's too good to like mm-hmm. pass away at a young age she does like, she, she does no wrong around. oh yeah she does she's no still wrong. working and writing yeah. children's books and stuff. Also, on this topic, we should do like a brief R.I.P. for uh, Tony Morrison. For Tony Morrison, the bluest eye. The bluest eye. Right. That's. I haven't read much Tony Morrison. Uh, I mean, Beloved. Yet. Did you read Beloved? No. I've like. I know of it. Right. Naturally. I mean, I've never. Read oh yeah, her stories were like so intense. Mm. I mean. Yeah, really intense. Yeah, yeah. So, but a really great loss for us. Another, another great African American, yes, woman doing things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, so, quick yeah. R.I.P. They how old was Toni Morrison? Eighty nine. Yeah, I think she was like. Because um, yeah, Faith Ringold is still alive, and she is eighty nine years old. Faith Ringold. Yeah. Ringgold? Yeah, she's she's and she's still talking. She's still giving talk. She gave a talk last year to the Tate. Oh, so she was just she was a year younger. She's so yeah, Toni Morrison and Faith Ringgold were um I didn't come across a lot of mention of it, but I'm sure they knew each other. Right. Um but yeah, so Faith Ringgold was born 1930 in Harlem, New York. Um, <laughs> she was a great many things. Right. Not only was she a painter, but she was a writer too, a sculptor. She was like definitely doing all things. Um, she did some performance, some textile, and she was a professor. She was uh, well. She taught in the New York City public schools for twenty years. Right. Right. And then she was also a professor. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, teaching was a huge part of her um, story. Right. I think her. I think she's all she's trying to teach us something. I know. 
No, oh, yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, she's trying oh, to bestow the world with her wisdom. So tell us a little bit about her background, Abby. So Faith was born uh, the youngest of three on October 8th, 1930. Um, her parents, Andrew Lewis Jones and Willie Posey Jones, uh, descended from working class families displaced by the Great Migration. Um which was a movement of 6 million African-Americans out of the rural South um, to the urban Northeast, Midwest, somewhat to the West. Um, and this all happened around 1910 and eventually led to like the Harlem Renaissance and like things where, where people of color were running away from oppression and lynching and, you know, murder, just chills, murders. And then they all, sort of came to welcoming communities and then turned that into like this great revival of culture. And but we'll do a history break. We'll do Well, that comes later. Um, but her mother was a fashion designer and a seamstress and she was really re- well known in the community. And she was definitely encouraged to create. She was, she tells stories about like always having her like markers and crayons on her. Um, and I think she was always a great storyteller, but the Harlem Renaissance was, is this a history break? Oh, burr, burr, burr. so history break, our, our history break, basically um, just talk a little about, bit about the Harlem Renaissance, which I mean, have we said it yet? This episode, I know nothing. Nobody knows anything. I just, right. Right. This is just, you know, I can sort of, well, right, 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 right. And we can sort of look up, um, <laughs> Google. but, uh, in the early nineties, basically, um, early 1900s, right. In the early 1900s, edit the that. 1990s, <laughs> in when the, Nirvana in was in big. 1991, <laughs> when I was born. <laughs> um, so the Harlem Renaissance was basically like, uh, this whole movement, when these African-Americans migrated from the South, they brought with them so much culture and they brought with them jazz and they brought with them um, so much history. Um, but it was it was more than just it was like intellectualism, right, right. artistry, yeah. music, uh like social change, mm. all of these things were happening in this like block of New York City between right. 135th Street and Fifth Avenue, um, where it, it was a community where people could feel safe and like, uh, I don't know, so far from like the South. I don't know. I just feel like it would be so much fun. But um, yeah, so like the contributing factors were the Great Migration and also World War One, um, because all of these soldiers, these black soldiers came back and were treated like garbage. Welcome to America. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, great. Thank you for dying and defending this mm-hmm. country. Um, but on the front lines. They're, yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they were sent to the front. Um, and so... The Red Summer of 1919 um, included a lot of race riots and attacks on African-Americans by whites. Um, So there was also competition over jobs and housing and tensions were boiling over in the U.S. I mean, race has always been a problem, of course, in this giant, massive country where no one can accept anyone else or whatever white people can't accept anyone else but um so artists poets writers intellectuals and others from the community use their crafts to encourage each other and produce new literature and art and music and jazz and all these really great things so that they could challenge these racist stereotypes um that they were just like i mean what's that fucking old disney movie that they won't show anymore with that guy 
He's like singing that song that's still like a culturally accepted song. Oh, like Fantasia or something? No, it's like an old. Oh, that like country. That country song. Anyway, these like. Oh, shoot. Yeah, Yeah, I remember. Aunt Jemima. We'll get to Aunt Jemima later. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, so they were trying to like express themselves and express their community and like not prove because I don't think they had anything to prove, but they were given a space to flourish. Um, And then like major artists of the time were Langston Hughes, um, Gladys Bentley, Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, Faith Ringold was very young at the time. um, Right after. So yeah, so the Harlem Renaissance is technically like 1920s through the 1930s. So she was like a, a child watching all of these these huge names yeah. like hang out in her neighborhood. Right. Um, and she was just around the corner from Duke Ellington and Langston Hughes. Um, and then her mother was a seamstress in the community and she knew everybody. So, so she was exposed to a lot of creative elements that definitely influenced her growing up for sure. Yeah. And I think that she, understood where she came from Mm -hmm. and like a a lot of the Harlem Renaissance used um like folk traditions and like black identity to to tell those stories um and yeah and fabric textile arts were and are a huge part of like African and African-American cultures Mm -hmm. and for women like in general in general and that's a huge part of Faith Ringold's work is the textiles Mm -hmm. um but she, so, so Faith grew up, um, wanting to go to the city college of New York, mm-hmm. C-U-N-Y. Um, and. Is it still around? Yeah. Cool. And so she, so she tells the story. She's so fucking cool. Like listening to her talk, she's just like so funny and yeah, like wise, but, um, she was telling a story about how she used to see these people go up the hill to the big Gothic buildings that she could see and go to class. Yeah. And she, she just always knew that that's what she wanted to do. And it never occurred to her that all of those people were one white and two male. Like she was just like, I want to do that too. So I'm going to go fucking right, do it. Right. And so in 1950, she enrolled in city college um, to major in art, but she was told that women couldn't major in the fine arts. Um, and so she was sort of forced into education. And, and this is this is why this is why this is why Picasso is who he is. I mean, it, let's take a Linda Nochlin and the whole like there are no great women artists. Right. There's a reason like women were never allowed right. to do these fucking things. Like, like they were there. They just weren't allowed to, to do the things that they wanted to do. Yeah. But and they, but they were present. They were, they were doing it. They, they were, were doing around. it. And like Faith Ringold is still alive. Like she was feeling the, the repercussions of sexism and mm-hmm. misogyny she and racism and she's still alive. Like, don't fucking come tell me that we don't need feminism. Like, right. we need feminism. For sure. But whatever. Um, yeah, so she was, but she was really influenced by a professor that she had at CUNY, um, Robert Guathme. Guathme. Um, he instilled in her a belief in her own aesthetics and style of painting. Um, and since the beginning of her career, um, he encouraged her to focus on racial and political motifs. Mm-hmm. Um, and his teaching style nurtured her own confidence um, 
and to act on her own impulses without fear of criticism. So, and then she said, he gave me that and I never let it go, which is really sweet. And I think she probably did that for a lot of people. Like, I'm sure she was a great teacher. Yeah, I'm sure she carried that with her throughout her life. Yeah. You know. And her style, especially her early style, is... um, is like very simple mm-hmm. and so i think that was definitely yeah. looked down upon right right um that she wasn't like going with the other aesthetics right right, right. Um, and her palette was very different yeah too. yeah it was yeah, and that's why i think she moved away from painting too it's like she was trying to tell her own story using someone else's techniques mm-hmm. and then she moved into like quilting and right um telling her expressing herself in that way but she the same year she enrolled in college, she uh, married jazz pianist Robert Earl Wallace. Earl Wallace. Wallace. And I think she took his name. Um, so she was Faith Wallace. For a little while. For a little while. Yeah. Um, and they had two kids, Michelle Faith and Barbara Faith. I like that she named them after herself. Oh, um, yeah. That is super cute. But uh, unfortunately, Wallace was addicted to heroin yeah. um, and they separated after four years. But what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, people people have problems. But uh, she received her bachelor's in 1955 and her master's in 1959, both from CUNY. Um, and then after her bachelor's, she launched a 20 year career in the in the public school system of New York. Public schools, man. I mean, yeah, right. Talking to the daughter of right, right. Oh, can you imagine, like, oh, being taught by, like, by her herself? Like, can you imagine? Yeah. I wonder when she retired. Um, Did they talk about it? Seventy-two. She taught for a while. Yeah, twenty years. Get it. Um, and then yeah, she went back to professing. Professing, <laughs> yes. She went shift. back to professing. I don't know what the. So in 1961, she got her divorce. That was the year my mom was born. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Wow. My parents were born in '59. They're a little older. Yeah. How old's your sister? Twenty. Uh, Thirty-one. Mm, they yep. had her. They had her pretty late. Yeah, my mom had my brother really young. Yeah. So, and he's seven years older than me. But hmm. <laughs> welcome to this is. Facts about my life. I know. Don't make me have to like censor this. Okay, we'll censor it. Your mom will kill me. Um, So so in 1961, in the 60s, how lovely, she gets her divorce from Homeboy. And Faith travels to um, Paris. She goes to um, Nice, Paris, and Rome with her mother and her two daughters. Um, While they were over there, they visited a lot of different art galleries, Mm -hmm. different art collections. um, And she was exposed to works of great European masters. Um, While there, she heard of the freedom fighters um, in the United States and the South who were being assaulted and murdered by white extremists. So this is the 60s. I mean, it's the 60s. Nothing changes drastically from, you know, the Harlem Renaissance to, you know, uh, from slavery. Right, exactly. So um, so soon after arriving in Rome, they received word that her brother Andrew had died of an overdose. So drug addiction is pretty big in her in her history because, I mean, her her husband, Mr. Wallace, right. was also a drug addict. And now her brother passes away from, you know, I mean, you want from to tell addiction. The story of economics and how, like, 
the government introduced drugs into mm-hmm. black communities mm-hmm. in order to right. take them down. But like, right. hey, <laughs> crack. You remember that? Oh, yeah. whoa, what? <laughs> that wasn't used wow. to like to, to control an entire race. Not That's, at all. Not at all. Fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so all these things happening are basically solidifying her desire of Mm self-expression. Um, so she starts to focus more on her skills as an artist. Um, she's moving away towards, away from the teaching side of her life. And she, she's now ready to explore her expression. I mean, can you imagine? She must be feeling a lot. Like I can't even imagine being a, a creative in the 60s or or like at any time period before the 90s like i i feel like she has a lot to express yeah i mean i think we're still living in a time where um our voices are really important Mm -hmm. like i think like at women women of color like we have there's a lot of shit yeah for sure absolutely but i mean finally where you and i are like super fortunate that we are we have a voice we're benefiting from yeah from her groundwork that faith ring right 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 i mean because like we'll get into it but like galleries didn't want her she was too political like she was a woman she was black like there's too many things and she fought past it and she she never gave up and she did what she wanted to do. Right, right. She's just that much of a badass. Right, right. But she, so yeah, so she went and saw all these European masters and she was taught in a certain style. Mm-hmm. And when she came back, she couldn't do still lives and landscapes anymore. It just didn't feel relevant. It wasn't relevant. Right. Um, and so she, she took all of those influences and made her own style. And her great great grandmother was a quilt maker. Um, and it wasn't seen as an art, like we said before. It was a woman's craft. It was a craft like passed down from African culture. And like right. so she was trying to combine those influences. And I even think her paintings have these sort of like they're like very very stitchy, like very yeah, yeah like there's definitely there's Minimal like a background. pattern of like connection there, you yeah. know, like the patterns feel very much like a quilt Mm -hmm. some of them yeah it's all very like yeah um boxed in yeah exactly very boxed in um but so she also said that when she would go into a gallery to show her art they would (laughs) they would look at her legs and not her art um because i mean because they couldn't look her in the eye she's got a fucking vagina so why would the men inside care about anything else um And that she, they weren't open to having African-American artists, um, especially not women artists. And she decided that she needed to get involved in women's issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the Whitney was having a B&L with very few women. And I think there was like two in -hmm. in 1961, I think it was. Um, And they demanded... Like there was a, she was involved in a pro- protest that demanded 50% of the artists in the Biennale be women. Yeah. And they like had eggs and signs and they would like boil the eggs and like decorate them. And like, and she wrote, she like painted 50% on hers. Um, yeah. So she's been doing it since the beginning. Oh yeah. She's been fighting for the movement for sure. And like white feminism is a thing, especially now but especially then like she was trying to fight for everybody Mm -hmm. and that's the other shit that's the other rub is when people are like you it was a different time and we can't 
um, take people's opinions when they're, you know, it was the sixties were so different or the fifties were so different, but like, I'm sorry, there were people who were right, who have always been right. And who were on the right side of history. Always like you, you're not allowed to discount faith knew it. She was there. She was on the ground Mm -hmm. fighting for fighting for what was right. But she was also um, happily married in 1962. Like a year after the divorce, though. Um, I mean, things used to happen quick, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like you really don't have that much time. I can't imagine that Wallace was like a devoted husband. Right. She probably was done with that for a while. Oh, my God. She's still alive. So it's like, I don't we don't know nothing about your about the truth. I mean, maybe I mean, her daughter's also very active. uh, Michelle. Yes. If you're listening, we love you. Oh, anyway, we love they'll never Molly. listen to this. Oh, no. We're you nothing. never know. We're nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We're nothing. Okay, yeah. Okay, so in 1962, she marries... You're going to have to do that. Mr. Burdett. Burdett? Burdett Ringold. Ringold. Uh, and, and then... Comes, in the same year. In the same year comes the birth of um, her first painting series, American People. Very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this she this series she completed between 1963 and 1967. Wow. Like, people really took their time with, like, series yeah. back then, right? I think still, but I think it was, yeah. No, different. bitches be getting shit done like, today. Done yeah, this. like three hey, days in. Right, series, series fall series, like <laughs> spring <laughs> series. I mean, yeah, the gallery scene is a lot different. Yeah. So. But I think, yeah, she like wasn't she couldn't get gallery representation, so she's figuring she's out how to yeah, do it. Yeah, she was herself. just like being patient about it too. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, focused on racial tensions. Um and then it was comprised of social satire and like depictions of isolation of African-Americans and like uneasy characters and hostile environments and like a lot of like really still like still images. Sorry, excuse me, I had to burp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could have let it slide. I don't think they heard you. <laughs> this is just me like swallowing for a good 30 seconds. I mean, you pause for like two seconds. Um We'll cut that out. Um, Leave it. It's authentic. <laughs> We're women who burp. So, yeah. So this series confronts the hypocrisy of the American people and like the fake camaraderie and the facade of integration and like um, Brown versus Board of Education being passed and like whatever. Separate but equal isn't equal. But that like even still like shit like that is still going on. Right. Like you can't pretend like it's not over. Right. It wasn't over then. It wasn't over three years later. But um, she said she wanted people to see what was going on in America and wanted people to look at these paintings and see themselves. In quotes. In quotes. So sort of paraphrased. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so comes the first piece we want to talk about, which is so interesting God. and so fucking bold, I think. Oh, but, yeah. For sure. So just to... Okay, so this piece is called Between Friends. Um, she did this... In 1963? 1963. And basically, just to give a quick description of the piece... um, Should I read what you wrote, actually? That might be... Yeah, if you want. So, basically, it's two women um, that are, like, standing stock still. Uh, One... 
to the left of the composition. So the woman to the left of the composition is is an African American woman and the woman to the right of the composition is um a white older stern looking woman. Um so it kind of alludes to this taut taut formality like this like yeah strung together really tight Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. tension so yeah exactly so it shows like this racial tension this the class disparity um that was happening at the time um so the original title of this piece is the wall between friends um i I'm kind of confused on what she's trying to say in this piece. Is she trying to say that that friendship is possible or is she trying to say that like friendship is impossible? Right. I think she was the kind of person who wanted to believe that friendships between black women and white women could be possible because she was fighting for women as well as for like women in general, as well as for black people and for African-Americans like this. I think she's showing how difficult it can be. Right, right. And to call the piece like between friends. Right. Or or the wall between friends. Cause the look on the the look on the woman on the left, the African American woman's face is, is like, like she's like half smiling, hopeful. her eyebrows are up. There's like this hopeful look to her. Mm-hmm. Like like she's looking at this white woman and she's like a friendship like it it looks like she's trying to say that it's possible you know but then this white woman to the to the right has this she looks old and um her like she has red hair yeah she's like a perfect exactly her nose is really like angular exactly it's like a tough profile and like her she's not smiling at all Mm -hmm. um and she looks very uninviting yeah um, and then the background is like it's it's mostly black, but right. the there's like wooden panels coming down right between them, and then they're like angular and severe mm-hmm. and like really bright. It's yeah, right. I think yeah, I think she thinks that it seems impossible, but could happen, but only if everyone is willing to participate and like face these real truths. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, so a lot of these compositions. Um, in this series and American people have uh, both black people and white people in them um, and both men and women represented. And so the next one, Oh, the next one is it's pretty, I like this next one. Um, number eight in the series. Right. So number eight in the series um, is called the in crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one I think is way more like, outwardly she's talking about the injustice like she's she's going for for politics now and she's Mm, right right. and she's going for something more tangible exactly so basically the in crowd shows both black and white faces stuffed into the composition these are all men yeah all men and it's like well how many men are in here one, two, three, eight. four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's nine, nine men oh, in there. Yeah, um, and basically it's like just their faces and they're like crammed into this um, vertical um, rectangular canvas. Um, so it's three black men stand among the white men. The white men have their hands pressing down on the black man, on the black men. One white hand covers the mouth of one of the black men, suggesting conditioning and a limit and a limit to advancement and even speech. Right. So pretty straightforward. It's basically this painting shows a bunch of white guys suppressing 
um, the, the three, the three black men that are in the composition. And it's so, it's so straightforward. Like you can just Mm -hmm. see these white guys with their little hands, like pushing down on, on, on these black men, kind of pushing them out of the frame. Yeah. Like they're, they're half like in the frame and half off. Like, you know, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very suppressant. Right. And exactly. the, and everyone in the, you can't really see a whole lot of their clothing, but everyone, um, even the men of color are wearing like suits yeah. and ties. They look equal. Like if you, if you were to ignore like what their hands are doing, their facial expressions, their attire, the, the, way they're even placed on the composition they look like they're equal and i and i also think it's interesting that there isn't any fighting like this is something that they're just taking that they have to take exactly the mouth the hand over the mouth like Mm -hmm. the pushing Mm -hmm. down like Mm it's something that they just have to fucking go along with right i mean so this is also sorry just two like uh red arrows pointing Mm -hmm. down Mm -hmm. in an arc up at the top Mm -hmm. of the the piece. I mean, this is after the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, they have their rights, you know. They this is like law now. Right. So this In talks cases. about like the underlined racism, the underlined suppression right. that that goes on in the workplace and in any any field of you know where you need um anything authority anything yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so it just shows it's like don't forget i like this because it's like simple it's like yeah. don't forget that it's still there i mean this is like faith ringold was not hiding anything from you everything mm-hmm. that she wanted you to see you saw right. like she wasn't the you know like there is subtlety to her work but and there's subtext but like She's she's laying it all no, out there. She's bold. She knows she's, what she wants she's to really say. She's really not scared. And this is what she wants to say. Right. You know, and she's like, I super admire that. That she's like, fuck it. Like, this is what I want to talk about. And I'm going to like literally paint it and paint it black and white. Like, this is what it is. Yeah. Like, no bullshit. And that's like, people at the time are like, too political. Right. But... Um, this is what we needed at the time. This is what we need right, right now. But not only that, too. The style of her painting is so powerful oh, and yeah. so ahead of her time. Like, this is, like, super, like, for me, this looks like sh- something Shepard Fairey would do. Like, boo. you know, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, <laughs> boo, but, like, look at the style. No, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's very, it's, them. it feels very, very modern. Like, with the blue shadows. And right, the, the, right. The I wouldn't be surprised if if they took the style from oh yeah they stole it yeah for sure because like there's no shading here like there is but in such an abstract way yeah uh but the so I've seen in person Faith Ringel's work a few times I saw it most recently Mm -hmm. um in New York, but uh, the next one we're going to talk about, number 18, The Flag is Bleeding. I saw um, in the Black Power Soul of a Nation show that was traveling around from the Tate. And oh, wow, it's like, it's so fucking intense and beautiful and bright and like, is exactly what the title suggests. The flag is bleeding. Right, like right. The, uh, so she uses the American flag a few times. What are the dimensions of this piece for off? I don't know. Is it, it looks like it would be, oh, it is a large. Okay, yeah. So it's huge. The flag is bleeding is six feet by eight feet. Eight, eight feet. Eight, eight feet. Eight a foot. We're recording during the day, so I'm <clears> drunk. 
Oh, I know. Stupid. I know. <laughs> I do, we're just like drinking our coffee and like right. sweating. There's a do- sweating. There's a donut hanging around. Oh no, I'm waiting. I don't want to like eat it while I'm recording. Like, nom, nom, nom. Um, although I will in a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the so in the painting is the American flag, um, and then sort of behind it and in front of it at times is like a black man holding a knife um and then linking arms with a like a small white blonde woman and his hand is placed over his heart mm-hmm. almost like pledging allegiance yeah and then on her other side link she's linking arms with like a taller white man in a suit um and of this work, Faith said, it was what was going on in America, and I wanted them to look at these paintings and see themselves. Wait, I already used that quote once before. <laughs> um, I wanted to create art that made people stop and look. Um, she wanted us to see the reality of race in, the Mer- in America and the brutality of it. Because the stripes or just like there's in general, but there's like splotches of blood like dripping down um, the composition. And I think also Jasper Johns and a lot of other artists at the time were using the American flag in a different way. Right. Right. And she wanted to like, um, sorry, no, this is my America. This is the actual America that's happening right now. Yeah. This piece is, is so wild to me. Mm. I mean, like just the, the very little details that like, cause the white woman in this, in the center, she's actually, she's like displaying two different white women. Like she, cause she's blonde in the stars, but then she's like a redhead on the, the other rest, side. The yeah, the flag. Yeah, and yeah, she's like she's the one who's the least there. I'm like so ready. Okay. okay. Do you want to pause? Are you, are you okay? And then no, turn for on. what? So I can sweat. The next one we're going to talk about is um, the also one. about blood, and this is the one. This, this one. Is, this is the one. Um, number eighteen. No, number twenty. Uh, die. Mm-hmm. From 1967. Is this the last piece of the series? No. I think there's... I think there's a few more after this, but this is the last one we're going to talk about. Um, So this painting is the only one to directly reference the race riots. Um, Most other pieces from the series are stagnant and still, Mm -hmm. like we've talked about before. It's like a lot of very, like, people taking it and, and, like, just, like, there's a tension to the other ones and this one is really tense as well but it's frenzied and chaotic and mm-hmm. there's blood everywhere and people running around um and she said if the media did if the media did show a photograph or a picture of any kind of the riot they never showed the blood so i wanted to make sure that i put blood in there because i knew that blood meant death and that's what was happening in those riots it's like people were fucking dying like even like the famous war hall of the dog, like biting, like there's no blood in that. And mm-hmm. it's a black and white photograph. Like this was like so much more intense, which is exactly what it was. Like, I don't, I don't think that people who weren't there, who weren't in there, all the white people sitting behind their televisions really understood. Or like, or any of us, because that is the truth. What the media had shown. And like, even when you think about it now, yeah, yeah. what the media continues to show. And like, when you think about it now, it's like, yeah, the photos we've seen, like the photos that have been put out there of, of, you know, the riots and the things that were happening, they're, they're, they're 
super censored. Yeah. They you don't see the blood. Yeah. And the fact that she is really trying to like depict this chaotic scene that I feel like we've never seen. No. You know? Yeah. Like this scene of chaos and blood and like there are children like huddled in the corner and like so there's so it's a massive um it's two six foot canvases made in parts mm. <laughs> so that she could install them at the gallery um which was in midtown um so she could get them up the stairs but um so it's two six foot paintings and it's there's yeah men and women um all dressed black and white dressed the same. So all of the women are wearing yellow dresses and heels and all of the men are wearing black shirt or white shirts and black pants. Um, and there's like, yeah, there's like two children, a white boy and a black girl huddled in the middle of the scene. There's like a white man holding a gun. There's a black man holding a knife. Everyone's running. There's blood everywhere. There's like people tackling each other. And like, it's also, um, you can't really tell what's foreground and what's background. Um, there's like, it seems like someone's like falling and also already laying on the ground or like running away or like has already fallen. Um, it's just yeah like they're dressed professionally but right. they're running around killing each other killing themselves but um and a lot of the people in the composition are staring directly out of the piece at the audience mm -hmm. it's it's uh very violent and very like terrifying yeah it's a terrifying it's piece, terrifying yeah but it's powerful and, and honest it's powerful it's honest and i think she she get, she did it. She got her point across. Yeah. So, okay. So this opening that she Wait, had. Wait, where is this piece? Uh, I think it might be at the Met or the MoMA. Okay. Okay. Because that one's definitely worth seeing. Also, I see a lot of Kara Walker's work. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, in, for sure. In this piece, for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, Kara she's part... Oh, she will oh, we'll well. do her, too. Oh, yeah, eventually, But she, yeah. these are very uh, loaded topics. But I don't, like, us as a as a people, as an American society, and us as, like, you and me in this stupid podcast. Right. <laughs> I don't think that these are things that we shouldn't talk about. Like, no, we are not Black people. Right. But we are in America. And these issues, Black, White, Brown... We are all, these are all things that affect us now. I mean, like, Latinos are literally dying at the border. Right. Um, they d had to force the American government to give children soap. Right, 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 right. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. We'll really? get into a separate topic, <laughs> a separate podcast for how pissed I am about right, that. Right. Don't get me fucking started. You know what it pisses me off, too? Is that, like, they're using this, like, these camps, literal concentration camps, right, to say that, like, the uh, the community coming from Central America is, like, such a scourge on America and we have to spend all this money. But, like, if you weren't capturing people and putting them in cages, they would be off with family members already contributing to the American economy. So, like, instead, you have to capture them and put them in cages and refuse them food and water and bedding and soap and then tell them that it's their fault. And their freedom. And their freedom. Not yes. to mention that. 
but don't you know okay we have, we have well, we'll i'll cut this out yeah. um, <laughs> no, don't, that's just me I'll that's just <laughs> i am so mad okay 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 where are we where are we where are we are we on the next pieces or what? oh we, okay so i want to say one thing about so the it. opening of this so this piece was first shown like i said at the at a gallery in midtown the spectrum gallery um and the opening night had about 400 people nice and she said that <laughs> a woman the elevator doors open and a woman saw this piece, saw, died, screamed, and then went back down on the <laughs> elevator, like immediately left. And I'm like, and she yes. was like so pleased. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then, yeah, like we said before, uh, she was like doing major um, protests and like starting a lot of um, women and um, African-American coalitions and um, foundations in order to promote women and African-American people and their plight. Um, so while she's doing all of these like a, a really incredible pieces, she's also like protesting and fighting for rights. She was an avid activist. And uh, I just like, how do you fit the time in? How do you I raise know. two children? Damn. Oh, that's right. I did forgot it. I forgot about the kids. Was it Michelle and Barbara? <laughs> Barbara, yeah. Barbara Keith and Michelle. Yeah. So and then after she was finished with the American People series. Um, she um she does a number of works between 1967 and 1969. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so she calls these works the black light paintings. How lovely um so her black light paintings are basically um geometric portraits um and they were painted in different shades of black very dark um very dark and bold colors um so these paintings basically express Ringgold's interest in African art and design. Um, so these pieces celebrate blackness and represented her and her community as a positive, in a positive, beautiful way. Um, so these pieces, she's basically focusing on the culture. Yeah. It's um, less about politics um, and more about like black love, you know, and like um wanting to see herself yeah, and her friends exactly. and the people she knew. Yeah. Like the way that they deserve mm-hmm, to be seen. Mm-hmm. Like I mean like one of one of the one of her pieces like depicts like um they're smiling, they're kissing, they're, you know, it looks like they're singing, like, you know, like lost in thought, like very positive mm-hmm. positions, yeah. less about oppression and more about like who, who black people were in yeah. that time. They're actual people. Yeah. yeah. And, and they were, they were despite all things, but they were heavy in culture mm-hmm. and they were, they were happy, you know, yeah. and they expressed that in their art and in their music and in their poetry um, and just being who they are, mm-hmm. you know? <clears throat> yeah. So I think, yeah, she was focusing a little less on, it's probably like a heavy topic to do and probably really emotionally exhausting mm-hmm. um, to constantly be discussing things like the race riots right, and right, right, right. racial tensions. Exactly. Um, so and it's, it's, it's not like it, she's living it. 
you yeah, know what I yeah, mean? So, <clears throat> and so again, back to the American flag in the 19 in 1970, Faith helped organize the People's Flag Show um, at the Just Judson Memorial Church in the West Village. Um, it featured about 100 works that address the American flag and was a protest against the laws that restricted the use and display of the symbol. Um, so like freedom of speech was very important to her. Um, so she helped organize the show and within a week of its opening Ringold and the two other artists, um, that helped organize John Hendrick and Jean Tuch, um, were arrested and they were known as the Judson three. Mm. Such a good name. I know. Like so powerful, like the Judson three. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the U.S. Attorney General's office charged the three with um, desperation of the flag and the exhibit was forcibly forcibly closed. What does that even mean? I mean, I think desecration, basically. OK. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, you can't use this as a symbol or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, right it's not their flag. Right, right, right. Yeah. But they were represented by lawyers um, from the American Civil Liberties Union. The what? The ACLU? What? Oh, what? Who? <laughs> who? <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> who said? Who said that? And then, so the $100 fines and the jail sentences were all dropped and the flag. Um, she continued to use it and she's like, fuck you. I'm, this is my expression and this is my flag too. And like, she's an avid defender of the First Amendment. Um, and she said... Uh, that no art can be made without freedom of speech, which is so true. I mean, it's valid. It's fucking valid. Man. It's art. Right. Um, in the she same year, she wants. also in 1970, Ringold and Lippard, um, which is her one of her friends that she organized things with earlier, um, participated in uh, the group Women Artists in Revolution War, which is like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Faith and her daughter Michelle Wallace. Um, also founded Women, Students, and Artists for Black Art Liberation. And Michelle, I, I'm not 100% sure about Barbara. I've come across her a little less, but um, Michelle was always like really active. With, yeah, yeah, with her um, mom, for sure. The whole time. And yeah, a proponent of her mom's work and of her activism. But uh, 1972 is the year that Faith quit her job in teaching to devote more time to her work. Um, which is like, okay, so she quit in 1972. So she was creating art, founding active, like ac- activist things, I don't know, protests and shit. And then also teaching. And then she travels to Europe with Michelle and they separated so Michelle could visit friends in Spain and then travel and then Faith traveled to Germany and the Netherlands alone. And there she visited the. Ooh, I've never been able to Rich- pronounce that. Rick, Rick, Rick's, Rick, Rick, I don't know. Rick's Museum. This museum is in Denmark, right? I mean, I've heard about it and I I just can't say it. Girl, I've been there <laughs> and I can't say it. It's um, like the, I think it's in Denmark. Yeah. Or Amsterdam. Yeah, sure. You've been there. You tell me. <laughs> I'm like, Google this shit. Well, whatever. Um, yeah, so, okay. So while she's there at the R.I.J., KS Museum. I'm gonna it doesn't sound like a word. If we say where it is, people will know. Yeah, they know. I spelled it for him. It's fine. <laughs> I didn't even follow that spelling. Okay, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Amsterdam. 
Mm, okay. Yeah. Good. So she visits this famous museum in Amsterdam. The one, the one museum in the Amsterdam. The one, the <laughs> Museum. <laughs> um, and so while she was there, she saw 14th and 15th century ne- Nepali paintings um, from Nepal uh, that were framed with co- cloth brocades. Um, and these were called tankas. Several other names for them, but um, these definitely inspired Ringald to use fabric in her work. Because even though her mother was a seamstress, seamstress and like a fashion designer, um, and her great great grandmother like made quilts and passed that down, like she, it was always seen as lesser than. It was it wasn't an art. It wasn't it was a craft. Right. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> even though um, she's been around textiles and fabric arts um, her whole life, she hadn't really like made that step yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after. After seeing these paintings, um, she decided she was inspired. She, yeah, she decided that's yeah, like what the fuck, I should do that too. She's like, great, I have it in my history. It's in my culture, right? Like, I'm feeling the style. This like, is the way I should represent myself. I'm gonna do it. Express, yeah. And so the next series that she works on um, was is called Slave Rape, mm-hmm. um, which is a heavy topic, right? Right, and just like these. These works are so beautiful. They're very, very <laughs> so hard. They're very powerful. Um, yeah. So the it's a painting in the center, and then quilt and fabric on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two uh, that I pulled up that are so that's naked women, naked black women um, with like big gold hoop earrings. Um, and they're surrounded by like all of these like leaves. Yeah, it's like a little like, like a jungle. Flowery, yeah. Um, really brightly colored, like lots of really bold reds and greens and blues. Um, but the look on their face is like horrified. Right. Like they look like they're running away. They look like they're in hiding. Yeah, fleeing the same. Right, right, definitely. right. And they have their eyes are like piercing. Yeah. Yeah, their eyes are like, looking right out from the yeah from the works. yeah like searching almost yeah and yeah so she this is focusing <laughs> on the plight of African women during the days of the West African slave trade. Um, so she's like going in into her roots in more than one way, right. um, like with the textile works and Ringold's mother, as who we've talked about before, Madame Posey, um had learned to quilt from her grandmother and great grandmother who were both former slaves. Um, and in the pieces, the models, the women are modeled after faith herself and her daughters. Um, and the, the borders and the patterns are African Cuba textiles and like geometric modern abstraction. Um, but she collaborated with her mother with Posey on these pieces and would continue to to collaborate with her mother a lot, like as she moved more towards um, textile art. And the next, so she's like, she's really trying, she's, she's doing it all. She's throwing it all at the wall. She's working. She, after the seventies, she definitely becomes way more experimental. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like, exploring like the different layers of her creativity like what she's able to do like what you know Mm -hmm. like what her where her talents can take her and boy (laughs) they they take her they take her places they take her places she gets really unique so in 1973 she starts um this series called the witch mask series of women's liberation talking masks right Mm -hmm. um so these were like 
a mix of like a sculpture and performances. Um, they were mixed media. So they were basically like sculptures that were mixed media of beads, Kent cloth, um, raffia, cloth, cloth again. Um, and what is that? Gourds. Gourds. Like, what are these? These are like you know very, uh, yeah, I know what a gourd oh, is okay. actually. Yeah. Um, it's a fruit, isn't it? Or like, it's a uh, squash. Yeah. Right, right, right. Like a hard hollowed right, 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 squash. Right, right, right. Um, and these were all inspired by African culture. Um, so basically the series family of women masks series portray portrays 31 women and children from her childhood. Um, so this is a very personal series, which mm. I love because like now she's getting into like her life story, right. you yeah. know, like now she's expressing her own identity. Um, these were inspired by the Dan masks of Liberia, mm-hmm. but those were carved um, from wood as opposed to like these. The ones she makes looks um, they're like figures. Um, Very yeah, it's yeah. really geometric, right? And the and <laughs> so some of them are uh, the first one that you talked about the um, the women's liberation talking masks mm-hmm. is like more of a like a structure. Mm-hmm. But then the family women That's masks. This one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, those ones are like you put them on. So it's like a mask, sort of like a balaclava. Mm-hmm. Um where a you balaclava. Have a balaclava. Mm-hmm. Uh you have like the holes for the eyes and then a hole for the mouth, and then you like a dress, and they all of the pieces have like big matronly as they've been called breasts and then like the uh, facial features are um, outlined with like colorful sometimes white sometimes green sometimes pink Mm -hmm. um, like really really bright Mm -hmm. to like bring it out I think that's also like a remark on um, uh, like black caricatures and stereotypes of the time like those big red lips and um, so these were sometimes just displayed as they are and then sometimes worn in performances. Um, and yeah, they're from people that she knew and they're wearing like kente cloths and it's like the, the cloth that she uses for the faces are all like dark brown. And right. yeah, so she's definitely trying to represent herself and like where, where she comes from. Where are these? These I'd like to see as well. They're so strange and they're like horrifying. They're very scary. I can't even imagine someone wearing that and like walking around. (laughs) God, I'd be like, fuck. And yeah, sometimes like I think she did one of um, Martin Luther King Jr. Like they're huge, like larger than life stuffed figures for the performance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then so I think one of these was uh, featured in. Um, so she was a founding member of Where We At, um, which is a black woman artist coalition. Um, and it was New York based. And then their inaugural show was called Where We At. And it featured soul food. Like, yeah, fuck the cheese and bread. Fuck that shit. Um, but these are, it's an interesting little snippet. She, yeah, it's a different she was still influenced by these, but she kind of moved away from performance and sculpture. Yeah. Yeah. I think like this was like this, she did what she had to do for this series. Like Mm -hmm. this was the only way that she thought this series could have been executed. Yeah. And it's genius. (laughs) It's so funny. I think it's genius. I mean, they're horrifying, but they're also so well done. Like, I love it. Um, but so I think like during this time, I think it was also important. Feminism was really important Mm -hmm. to her too. Um, so she 
like, especially with that first piece, it's called women's liberation talking mass. So I think uh, black issues and women's issues fell the same in her mind. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, um, a lot of like white feminism didn't agree with what she was saying and like put themselves like <clears throat> feminist issues above black issues and like didn't think that black women had anything more I to mean, contend with than they did even though they did still like, happens whatever let's we'll, we'll glaze right over it but and then yeah like black women didn't agree with her like her participating in all of these like white feminist things um and so I, I, it was just i'm sure so hard for her yeah, to like find to a like place find and her like place. continue to keep pushing and i think that's why she was a founding member of so many organizations and we saw this happen to um to Anna Mendieta too it's like when she was in the AIR galleries and like in that coalition she felt the white feminism and felt that like they weren't they didn't understand that she also had others that like women of color were being oppressed mm-hmm. like, and it wasn't just a women's yeah issue. like it wasn't just you know like yeah you fight for all of us you fight for none of us yeah like, there exactly. is no intersectional feminism <clears throat> always forever that's why you know this may be a little dicey but that's why we've talked about this before that's why like the women's march like as powerful as it is and right. and how you know i went i went to the women's march in washington I like mean, how many years ago and yeah. wow was that a powerful thing you know it was right. amazing like so many women like in one place like just really fighting for like the whatever cause they were feeling which was obviously women's rights right but the only thing that was in the backdrop of my mind and you know my family's mind was like they black lives matter had black been lives trying matter. to accomplish this very thing yeah. for years yeah. and have not been able to create that that much cloud that the women's march did yeah. like wow these women really came together these white women really came to support women women right but they they didn't show up right for have um have historically not shown up. yeah they have historically not shown up for, for black, any other issue yeah for 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 black lives basically yeah. black lives brown brown lives <clears throat> so it leaves a bitter taste oh yeah i mean uh feminism at the time feminism now um that is an intersectional oh i mean we haven't even talked about like the fact that like a lot of the women's march left out black lives matter and every other issue except for like uh reproductive rights but basically, basically but it was also like because it was an answer to um the white house um right, 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 right. let's bleep out the name like they do on broad city but right. um so <laughs> I, I started watching broad city oh god it's so good but um yeah so it's also like the whole like pussy power thing like mm-hmm. really leaves out um lgbtq women and like trans women and gender fluidity and like all of those other Mm -hmm. things like i don't know like that we need intersectional feminism we needed it then we need it now like equality is equality and you have to fight for it's hard like yes of course we're going to pick our issues immigration is to me but like also like um the death of of black people at the hands of 
the police. I mean, Big fucking deal to me. Like, I don't like it's a right. huge, I don't. White Democrats can be very one sided, but <laughs> wow, is this, is <laughs> this, like, this could go on and on. Listen, I don't, we don't know anything. I don't know. I don't. Oh, yeah. Oh, what politics? Excuse me. <sighs> I have no, nothing all, to say. All we know is like, this is the, this is the, this is the America we got, this is America we've always had. Right. These things that are happening right now are are the have been a long time coming have always been happening are continuing to happen they've just been switched around you know right so um anyway (laughs) what's next um we did that rant so 1974 yeah so 1974 uh faith and her daughters were really close um and are still close i think um but they they organized another, they were founding members of National Black Feminist Organization, Intersectional Feminist. They just keep on coming out with them. They're, They're yeah, like, I think she, like, we need trying more. To, we need more. To find the answer to her problems. Yeah. Um, and then we can skip over 1976 okay. and go to 1980. Um, so so she's still working on all these performances like through the 1970s and then 1980 um, is another collaboration with her mother, with Willie Posey. Um, and it's her first quilt echoes of Harlem. Great name. Love it. Um, and it depicts 30, 30 residents of Harlem um, and the faces gaze out from different angles and it's on a grid um, rectangular designs on the border, um, and then faces, um, in two levels, like on the outside and then, um, 12 faces on the inside. Um, and there's blue shaded shades of blue and of orange. Um, and it's like modern, but it still uses like the traditional quilting techniques. Um, it's sort of reminiscent of screen printing. Like it's like over and over and over again. Um, and then it's like diverse and but still harmonious and I think yeah definitely represents the community she came from right from Harlem right but uh, sadly the next year 1981 mm. Posey passes away um so she like learned a lot from her mother right. and collaborated a lot with her mom mm-hmm. um and I think she learned a lot from her and I think that's also she continued the practice after she passed away this, right. like, quilting practice and mm-hmm. textile arts, which is really beautiful. And, like, yeah. That's a great way to, to honor. Her yeah, memory. exactly. Exactly. And, uh, 1983. Who's afraid of aunt Jemima? Yeah. We, yeah, we teased this one a little bit. Earlier, I, know. So I love it. <laughs> So in 1983, she creates Who's Afraid of Aunt Jemima, which is basically her first um, uh, story quilt. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like like she had made a quilt before and she made, right. I think, another one right. after or a couple after. Echoes yeah. In Harlem, but. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if for for those who don't understand how much quilting is embedded in African-American culture, mm-hmm. um, quilts were a form of expression. Yeah. They literally embedded their stories and their experiences stitched in these 
in these quilts, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and these quilts are passed down from generations to generation. And they're like literally a form of like lineage and mm-hmm. like heritage. And, and how to tell a story. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think it's so powerful mm-hmm. that after her mother passes away, she she begins to do story quilts. Yeah. Um, so basically she combines images and handwritten texts that convey open-ended narratives. So in her first one, she gives the rich history of a savvy businesswoman to the racist stereotype and familiar advertising character of Aunt Jemima, whom we all know. Yeah. Aunt Jemima is a household item name person still, still fucking around right. still making, they still make Aunt Jemima god and my god and the the figure is depicted still on right. this plastic <laughs> container fucking hate so, everything right oh so um god. So Ringgold is ignoring the art world standard of separating craft from high art. Um, not only is quilting <laughs> and fabric art considered a woman's practice, but quilting has roots in African-American culture and history. So what I was saying before, yeah. it's like embedded, like it's yeah. not just, um, you know, something that they did. This is a part of their history. Yeah. Um, so she was blurring the lines and deciding for herself how she wants to express rather than allowing the norms to decide for her. So she was like, okay, yeah, fuck it. Like, okay, yeah, quilting's for women, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, for blah, blah, blah. But she was like, no, I'm going to use this stereotypical practice, you know, and I'm going to make it my own. And and I'm not going to have, right. And I'm going to put this blanket (laughs) on the wall and you're going to love that shit. Yeah. You know what? Man, I love that shit. Oh, wow. (laughs) Does it get good? Um, So the squares along the border depict African American women of all ages and backgrounds um the center tiles have different people all related to the text squares telling aunt jemima's story um so basically this quilt is the story of aunt jemima Mm -hmm. like because she has a story because she's not a plastic syrup container because she's like an actual she's making her an actual she's making her an actual person as opposed to just like a household item yeah and her yeah her daughter michelle pointed out um in a talk that Aunt Jemima has the same negative connotations as Uncle Tom. Right. It's like she's this matronly, like right. overweight black woman right. who's like wearing an apron. Who cooks and who's yeah. in the kitchen and you know, like yeah. the stereotype. Yeah. And we still purchase these this you know, it's like still a thing. Yeah. Um so yeah, it she's just diving into the fact that Aunt Jemima's story the uh, what Americans right. n- translate as their story promotes the stereotype that black women are fat. Um, <laughs> right. um, which is, it's okay to be fat, which is you okay, whatever you want, but, right? Right, but, but it's a it's definitely a, a stereotype, it's definitely it's a like, stereotype, it's like a bumbling sort of. Like, that's how it's depicted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like like humble wearing an apron. It's this image of a slave woman. A slave woman. Who is literally in the kitchen. Like, you know, like, and that is still around today so So she's taking this stereotype and she's basically owning it and she's um overcoming it um and it's extremely successful what a beautiful thing to be like okay this is something that isn't 
every home. Yeah, and nobody not know store. who Aunt Jemima Everyone is. Everyone fucking knows who Aunt Jemima right, is. Right. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to give her a backstory and I'm going to make her a person. And right. like, this is, you can't do this to us Right, anymore. right, This right. isn't a, I, but they're still like, doing it. We're not an object. We're not an object. In we're your pantry. Object. We're not something that you can slap on your syrup containers or your fucking containers of rice right. or whatever and be right. like, mm-hmm. this, you're my mascot now. Yeah. Great. Perfect. <laughs> Let's not get into mascots either, because I'll get real mad. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Washington Redskins? Oh, I'm wait, sorry. Wait, what? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? <laughs> um, but in 1984, um, is this the piece, by the way? This is Aunt Jemima. This one's Aunt Jemima? No, this that's, not the, Aunt Jemima. that's Tar Beach. Oh, wow. So that's pretty great. Yeah. Where is that one? I'm not sure. Mm. I'm sure we could look at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in 1984, she starts teaching again. Mm-hmm. Um, so she starts teaching as a professor at the University of California, San Diego. San Diego. So she's she's, she's at a Harlem. She's at a Harlem. Um, and wow, how old is she in the 80s already? Four. Girl, math. What? What is uh, it? Fifty-four. Okay. 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 So she's like still doing things. Oh, and she's doing things now. And oh, she's just eighty-nine. <sighs> what can stop that woman? Nothing. Nothing. Um. So she starts teaching again. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, um. And then in nineteen eighty-eight, she uh, comes back and she does um her first piece. Um, of the woman on a bridge of series. the woman on the bridge which is um, so great for so many things but we'll get to this later but uh, she turns this in, this this quilt and a lot of her others into uh, children's books and I remember reading this book really yes I, I'm pretty sure I owned this book I don't remember I remember what and they turned it into like a PBS special I didn't have cable mm. we, were, we were poor for parts of it anyway we'll for parts my mom will get really mad but oh, we didn't yeah. have cable always and um <laughs> so i watched a lot of casually. pbs right, right. and a lot of like network television <laughs> and uh i remember hearing this story like flying over the washington bridge like that's ah, crazy anyway so um the first of the series tar bridge um tells the story of a young african-american girl casey louise lightfoot um who grew up in harlem and can see the george washington bridge from her bedroom um there's five works in the series um and it's uh, in heavy contrast with her works from two decades before like she's it's those were violent and overtly political and like their blood and people with knives and like all this like tension. And then um, I think she started to move starting with the black light series started to move into these, like I'm going to portray my community and myself and my daughters and all these people that I know were black and were like, this is our lives. This is our culture. And I'm going to portray that in a really beautiful light. And I think this is a perfect embodiment of like her arc as an artist is like she's telling the story of Casey and yeah. like 
how she can fly. It's just like so, and it's yeah, made on this really beautiful quilt of like all these like floral. Oh, patterns. this quilt is beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh man, it's and so great. Like the stories at the top and the bottom, like pretty small in comparison to the rest of the composition. And then in the center, um, it's like a family having dinner on a rooftop, and there's like laundry hanging out, and like two children on a mat, um, looking up at the stars, and then you can see Casey Louise Lightfoot in the background flying over the George Washington Bridge. Beautiful. And an ex- excerpt from it um, is sleeping on Tar Bridge was magical. Beach. Beach. What I say? Bridge. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> sleeping on Tar Beach was magical. Only eight years old and in the third grade, I can fly. It means I am free to go wherever I want for the rest of my life. I'm going to cry. It's so, so it's like so cute. powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the it's a young girl being ambitious and like it symbolizes her potential for like liberty and absolute freedom and self possession. Yeah. So beautiful. So beautiful. It definitely <sighs> teared up a little bit. Yeah, because it's like it's 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 yeah, it's really it's a powerful. powerful thing. Like the things that I don't know that she wants to express are yeah. so are so broad too. Cause yeah. now we're now we're dipping into this little little girl's life yeah, yeah. and what it is to be young yeah you know and to like to feel that potential yes, is like yeah hopefully she will have the room to experience mm-hmm, all the things mm-hmm. that she wants to experience yeah, yeah and uh so yeah 1991 the year we were born the year we were born uh, we're alive now we're alive still um yeah she turns this tar beach into a book we have to look that up i want to read it you i i remember this book um yeah it it was so so the book was the winner of the ezra jack keats new writer award um the credit coretta scott king award for illustration um it was a critical and commercial success um and faith went on to publish 17 other books for children including aunt harriet's underground railroad in the sky um if a bus could talk the story of rosa parks and um a timely story published in 2016 called we came to america that tells the story of immigrants and the fabric of america very very valid (sighs) valid yeah um so this woman has done things. She's oh god, done it all. Oh man, she she really like is living it up. <laughs> oh god, I look up to her so hard. I mean, right? she's fucking incredible. She's yeah. so incredible. I want to meet her. I want to be in her presence. Touch her hand. Just like listening to her talk too. Yeah. She's like funny and like she's like comes to all of these like really heavy things like in American history and in her own life mm-hmm. with like such levity and like wisdom and. Yeah, and she always knew what was important. I I don't know. She's great. I mean, I don't know. Faith, Michelle, Barbara, if you're we, out there. We got you. <laughs> Have a cup of coffee with you're us. You're great. Oh, um, man, we appreciate you hard. Yeah. And, like, oh, Ringgold, wow, her works are, like, so great. Yeah. Not just these, you know, like, just everything she's done is just very powerful. I, think, I personally love the quilts. Yeah, the quilts are great. I mean, it's, like... Her paintings were amazing. The American People series, like, like incredible to see it to witness in person, and like, but like, I think it's so important that she took 
quilting and fabric arts, something that's for women and for African-American women and no one gives a shit about it. And now it's hanging in the fucking Met. Like that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then to also turn those things into children's books. Right. Like, right. She right, was right. always a teacher. She won't, she knew what was important and what she wanted other people. She to was know breaking about. barriers for sure. For she sure. To break it, continuing to break them. For sure. Fucking great. Um, she's not that like accolades mean everything, but she has received countless awards, including the National Endowment of the Arts Award, a Guggenheim Fellowship for Painting, the NAACP Image Award. Um, her work is included in several major collections. Her activism is still felt today. Um, her artworks are important and relevant. And yeah. And, she, and yet she's still not what one would call like a household name. Like what? <laughs> so like I didn't. No one taught me face Ringgold in school. First never, off, never, never, never that name until I walked into a museum myself. Right? Yeah. Like she is not treated with at least for no, us. Like you know, for us, like rinky dink artists who love <laughs> who love art, and we're constantly looking yeah. for inspiration. Like why weren't we taught? Right. You know. Yeah. Why didn't they tell us? Why did we have to find out? On our own. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think uh, the arts are really important and everyone should go to museums all the time because they're fucking amazing. Yeah, but for the bitches that don't go, that don't go, they're like over here like, have we done a fuck men yet? <gasps> fuck men. I think we did earlier. Earlier when yeah. I said men are important. Oh, yeah. Didn't we, not, I mentioned so. Shepard Fairy and you were like, fuck men. <laughs> or did you say fuck Shepard Fairy? I think Fairy? I said fuck him. Okay, okay. <sighs> I mean, the world is just so busy, like polarizing on, right, on men and their art that they like didn't teach us. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! You scared the dog. Oh, excuse you not. I know. He's passionate. Huh? He's asleep. All right. Well, this was um a really great episode. Well, I think I like this episode a lot. I, yeah, Ringgold um, is great. Yeah, we're gonna post the artworks we talked about. Oh yeah, Ringgold is great. Yeah, we're, the dog won't stop barking. The dog is present. Um, and we're gonna post these all on our Instagram, yeah, which is at the Art Broadcast. That, um, that is what it is. If you're here, maybe you follow us on Instagram. Maybe you don't, but um, stinks so much. Go to a museum. <laughs> yeah, I can. Oh, we've been sweating. I think Ow. you're fine. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, yeah. soon. See you later. Bye.